Hello, my friends. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, a queer and gender affirming parenting podcast for anyone with littles in their lives. I'm your host, Linz Amer. Happy Halloween, everyone. Oh my gosh, Halloween is my absolute favorite holiday. It's the day after my birthday, but also it's basically gay Christmas. I love dressing up. I love doing the Halloween thing. It's my absolute favorite time of year. So happy Halloween, everyone. I hope you're dressing up in some fun costumes and going trick-or-treating and just having a blast. We just had a little Queer Kid Stuff Halloween party over the weekend. So thank you so much to everyone who came and participated and dressed up and hung out with us a little bit before Halloween. It was so lovely to see all of your wonderful faces. If you missed the Halloween party, that's okay. We still do live events every month for Teddy's Book Club. All you got to do is sign up for our Queer Kids Stuff Patreon account. You can go and find that on patreon.com. And we do those monthly live events. I sing and read a book and we have a great little time. And since it was my birthday over the weekend, I would absolutely love if you could go and pre-order the Rainbow Parenting book. You can go find it wherever you get your books. It's available to pre-order. That will drop at the end of May. So get that now as a nice little gift to your future self right before Pride. And I would so, so appreciate it. Presales are super, super important for authors, especially debut authors like me. We got to let the bookstores and the publishers know that people want to read this stuff. They want to read about queer and gender affirming parenting and education and child rearing. So if you like this podcast, I promise you, you're going to like the book. Head over and pre-order that thing. We might be doing some giveaways on the podcast getting into the new year. So keep an eye out for that. All right. Today's episode is an absolute treat. I know I say that I'm excited for each guest before every episode because it's true. (laughs) I absolutely have been loving doing this podcast, mostly because it's an excuse for me to talk to just really, really rad people that I've wanted to talk to about all of this for a really long time. So today's guest is Maya Gonzalez. Maya is a prolific picture book writer, author. She runs her own imprint with her partner. Matthew called The Reflection Press. You might have heard me talk about her before and her awesome work and The Gender Wheel is something that we talk about a lot in this interview, in this conversation. She brings out my woo-woo side a little bit, so so, uh, be prepared for that. But we just have a lovely all over and getting into just nice little pockets of tangents and threading it back all together. We're talking about gender. We're talking about books. We covered a lot. So get hyped for this conversation. I'm so, so excited for you to meet Maya. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get to it. Hello, Rainbow Parenting friends. I am here today with Maya Gonzalez, who I am just, I'm I'm stoked to talk to everybody on this podcast, but I am so especially excited to talk to Maya. I've admired Maya for so, so long, since before I started doing Queer Kid stuff, and have really looked to you and your work as a model for some of the things that I do, and I'm just really humbled to call you a colleague, and I was so excited to bring you on today to talk about Reflection Press and your work as an author and an illustrator and just kind of like a, an educator and person in the space who 
I think you just have really, really incredible insights. And like, also just your work as an artist is really beautiful. Um, so hello, Maya. <laughs> Can you wow, just... <laughs> thank you so much, Liz. That's super, super sweet. <laughs> I'm very honored to be here as well. Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad. There's not a lot of us doing this, actually. There so. really are not. And I'm trying to, with this podcast in particular, I mean, with my work generally, but with this podcast in particular, really try and build a platform for this field we've been kind of cultivating over the last decade or so. Um, and I'm hoping that this can be a space where we can connect with the audience of parents and educators, and also some kids listen to this podcast. and. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I've gotten some feedback from parents that they've been listening to it with their kids, which I absolutely love. Um, but yeah, just really connecting all the people who come on the podcast with people who could benefit from all of this knowledge and this body of work that everyone's been cultivating kind of in separate spaces that haven't been talking to each other as much as I think we all want them to. Um, so <laughs> before we get into all of that, can you just um, introduce yourself really quick with your pronouns and how you identify? I am Maya Gonzalez, and I use actually a formal they in public. That's what fits me best under these circumstances. And we could talk more about that later, too, if we want. Yeah, for sure. And how do you identify? Oh, geez. Um, in whatever way you interpret that question. <laughs> I was going to say, lately I've been feeling like an alien mushroom. I'm going to go with Chicanx queer femme. I think mm -hmm. that's my official <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. Everyone kind of brings different interpretations of that question to this podcast. And I always love hearing how people uh, spin that for themselves. So that was really lovely. All right. Um, let's get into your work. Um, you are an author and an illustrator, but I want to kind of dig back and talk about the origin of this work, all this work for you started. So can you yeah. kind of take us, I know, I know, we've got a little bit of time, right? <laughs> uh, so let's go back. And I'd love to hear about your kind of inspiration for starting to get into, I don't know, quote, unquote, this work. Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny, of course, it started with a very personal, all of it's very personal, mm -hmm. right? That's why we do this work, because mm -hmm. we know and way back in the 90s, back in the day when we were all moving through a lot of shifts and changes, my best friend transitioned when folks weren't really doing that a ton yet, was just kind of getting started. And I was his closest, he, he was actually an ex of mine, and I was his closest support through the years that it, they went through it. And um, I, I changed. You know, I was a, I was a dyke up in Eugene, Oregon mm -hmm. and like, you know, gender stuff was really off limits and every, everybody was supposed to be androgynous really. And I was this femme and I kept trying to be androgynous and I just couldn't do it. It just was not my, my thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved to San Francisco and my dear friend was transitioning, I suddenly made sense. And I think that was what kind of blew my mind, where it's just like, this is something much deeper, you know? And so I went on a journey for many years, and I had been really interested in Leslie Feinberg's work, specifically, mm -hmm. and Will Roscoe's work, and especially around Indigenous reclamation around ideas about gender. Mm -hmm. And that's how I had kind of negotiated being a queer and being disowned by my folks and, you know, was going back to deeper roots to make sense out of things. What happened is then I was involved with a woman and we were actually a throuple and we had a child and there were no books at mm. all to talk about um, anything <laughs> back then, you know, 
That was 2004. And so it was really frustrating to me as a bookmaker. I'd been in the children's book industry for many years already. Mm. I've been talking about race and ethnicity for, you know, a decade and a half. Mm -hmm. And yet there was nothing that I had that I could turn to for my, my own community, you know, as a queer color. And so that's where Gender Now came up. And I created Reflection Press with my partner, Matthew, uh, who's trans. And it was interesting because we were both involved in this child's life and we wanted to be able to have a place to meet, you know, where we could mm. talk. And as Matthew was transitioning, this was this great place where we could reference things and talk about it in a way that wasn't available anywhere at that time. And of course, as things go, transphobia runs deep in the queer community also. Mm -hmm. And so the people I was involved with, it was just kind of mind boggling and too much for them to deal with at the time. And there was a lot of other stuff going on too, some racism and, you know, there's always so many layers. And I think that's mm -hmm. part of like, when we talk about our community and to our community to acknowledge, we all have a lot to work through. And so that I ended up losing contact with that family, losing contact with that child. It was very this interesting thing. I'm actually there in college now. I'm back in contact with them. Oh, and surprise, surprise, they're trans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do this work mm -hmm. because we know, we see, we understand. And so Matthew and I had a child nine years ago. And of course, again, non-binary. Mm -hmm. And so we started kicking up our materials again when they were about four, because four is often the age when um, a lot of pressure starts getting put on kids mm. to conform that, that are you a boy or a girl all the time? Mm -hmm. And so we started the gender wheel. We revisited the gender wheel, which was in the original one called gender now. So we pulled the gender wheel out and we kind of focused on that. And then Matthew was actually playing with gender now and was like, Oh, we need a book that has, you know, all these different representations of that same pronoun. Mm -hmm. Right. So that we can see like he means, this many things so that we can literally see that fluidity that moves through bodies, that spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we started the, they, she, he, me, free to be me. And then we did ABC because we have a kid, right? So we mm -hmm. needed materials to, yeah. to learn what they were going through in a way that didn't erase so that it wasn't constantly erasing as you learn, which yeah. is often a thing, you know, that's why I did so much race and ethnicity work that our reflection was always there and I remember when Trump um, was first voted in or whatever, mm -hmm. that I um, was so concerned. I did When a Bully is President because I was very concerned about kids of color internalizing the statements and the kind of bullying that was going on. Yeah. And I, I bring that up in a way because we're going through such an intense period over this time, this last like year or two, you know, beyond the lockdowns and everything, the rise of conservatism and that right wing kind of like fear based mm -hmm. sort of approach to gender. And it's a whole dynamic, yeah. you know. And so as we started doing these books for our kid, we realized that it was important to not just have the materials. It was important to provide them with the ability to see through what was going on, which is why, mm -hmm. you know, when a bully is president was so important to me was to really inform kids about the dynamics and structures of our larger systems, which, you know, it's like we're grownups and it takes us quite yeah, a bit you know, yeah. to figure it out and negotiate it. And so how to create ways to talk about that? Mm -hmm. um, because I find um, I'm like really deep in my work right now. I don't know if you can tell. I'm like, we're putting out a training. We're like doing like we have three books on the back burner that Incredible. are just about to come out. So really focusing on nature and that systemic piece, the systemic 
pressure to conform and how that's rooted in patriarchy. So that's sort of the trajectory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's here. <laughs> and no, and that's really beautiful. And I think what you're hitting on too is like this tension that's happening, particularly in this moment, but like over the last six years in particular, of like wanting to recontextualize like conversations around gender and like I, I think your approach around nature is like so interesting and cool and like wanting that to kind of like live on its own but also like understanding that like the world does not allow for that understanding and definition of gender and like exploration for it and wanting to make sure that we're being transparent with kids about both of those things but like not trying to overcomplicate it right because those are very complicated things things and the tension between them is complicated, but that's not going to process for kids, right? Well, so this is the interesting thing. So the last two years, I had a pilot program with this LGBTQ office at, in Santa Clara County near here, which is like, I think the only one of its kind. We took the time to kind of like, because I mostly have worked with early education mm -hmm. people, right? Early childhood ed and how to create a narrative that that actually simplifies and makes sense out of it. Because I think that's what's been so challenging for us mm -hmm. is that we're living in the resonations of patriarchy that's been going on for a very long time now. But it's kind of like we don't understand the full trajectory of that specifically in how it is for queer trans intersex people. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of research, a lot of studying. I was just looking at some of my notes this morning and I was just like, every time I read something super awesome about the patriarchy or about racism and the globe and all this stuff, there's always this huge like emptiness for me mm -hmm. because they never ever include queer trans intersex people. And the patriarchy is actually specifically, you know, a system of gender oppression mm -hmm. that specifically has to do with queer trans intersex people. And so I'm like, we need to get this narrative down. And so I've spent the last two years with this training doing ridiculous research and trying to understand that shift. Mm. Like, how did we go from these matrilineal, matrifocal, very egalitarian societies to one that has progressively become much more and more and more controlling? You know, we're really hitting that apex right now. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you. I see it as a death rattle. You know, it's really going down because it, it's obsolete to begin with. You, you mm -hmm. can't base your power on oppression. There is, there is a story that moves through it. And, and then it also ties to why nature has been distorted so that when we take it off of nature and we can see it for what it is, we can understand why indigenous cultures and, you know, were and still are nature-based and why they often regard queer trans intersex people as sacred because mm -hmm. we literally are that resonance with nature that shows the power that like for spirit to move through matter, you know, with this great, uniqueness you know that's what we need yeah and that brings me to call me tree which is the um picture book that i first good segue <laughs> i know right um <laughs> trees nature i'm also kind of like this is like peaking my like judaism brain because there are so many like jewish holidays around trees which is like a huge thing and then like right gender on. gender stuff within judaism is like a whole thing too that i'm like still kind of like figuring out and understanding um but yeah i call me tree was my first introduction to you and your work and it's just one of those books that kind of like blew my mind because it was first of all it's bilingual which is fantastic and I the illustrations are just gorgeous you're a beautiful artist and I thought I think the language around 
that book in particular is so simple of like our bodies are nature. And I like, I, I don't know where this quote comes from and I need to figure out where, but like, I, I remember hearing once that our bodies are the piece of earth we've been given. And like, that is just like completely shifted my relationship with my body and thinking about how gender and like how we move through the world is connected to just like literal trees outside our door. And I'm, I'm curious about that book. And I think we'll get into a little bit of a conversation about like traditional publishing versus independent press. Um, which I'm sure you probably have some feelings about. Um, but I'm I'm really curious about that book in particular and um, how that kind of like opens the door to your philosophy on talking to kids about gender. Well, it's so funny because of course it started when I lived in Oregon. So I lived in a yurt out in the middle of like old growth for a period of time, like two, three years. Amazing. And you had to, it was great. You know, it was very primitive and rugged and I would have to walk like a half mile to get to it. Mm-hmm. And it was a time when I was actually healing from many things, you know, having been disowned and stuff around queerness. Mm-hmm. And living in the trees, I started feeling like a tree. I would have relationships because I would be, oh, this one likes to do this at this time of day. And oh, mm-hmm. this one always does this. And this one, you know, so I started understanding them as, as very unique individuals. And, and so I could relate to them more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be in San Francisco doing the gender work and it's evolving and What's funny is I only started doing this two years ago. And this is what I always find with the gender wheel work is it's like magic. It's like spirit. Nature is talking to me through the gender wheel. So I'm like doing my training and I'm getting myself all organized. And I got mm-hmm. all my ancestors and my divines and my you know, animals. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to bring in plants. I've been wanting to do this for a really long time. And uh, so I started doing my research again. I found this yew tree, 3000 year old yew tree in UK somewhere. And They've always sexed the tree because it's so old and it's a sacred site, this botanical. I have all the information. This is just like the quick version oh, of it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so they're like sexing the tree this one year. Like, don't you already know what sex this tree is? And they find these three berries out of nowhere. And they're like, whoa, wait, like this tree is a male tree. Like it's always 3,000 years. It's been a male tree. We've been documenting it the last blah, blah years. You know, what the heck is going on with these three berries? And they realized that it was like in transition. And I was like, no way, trees freaking transit, 3,000-year-old trees freaking transition. Like, this is, it it hearkens to that spirit piece that, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, that we're all connected, that we are a piece of the earth, and that there are these patterns, these profound sacred geometries and maths Mm -hmm. that run through nature that show us that we're all connected, that we all share those same patterns. And so that a tree would do this, then I was like, of course, call me tree. And of course, we named our child. One of their names is tree. Mm. We've even um, heard of there's like this one movie star. I forget their name. Their pronoun is tree. So tree as a pronoun became also then this. That's where the book really started. Mm. Was this idea that we don't have to buy into these designations that someone says and that they're so rooted in the patriarchy and separated from nature. Mm. And so if you know, language isn't going to include us, then we can use language in the ways that we see fit to, you know, embody what we want in the world. Mm -hmm. And so Call Me Tree was really that, it was almost like this ricocheting around between feeling those intimate connections when I lived in the woods to, you know, as a parent, not wanting to tell my child, well, I have to call you he or she and that's it. Wanting them to feel connected to nature and then having this tree kind of like reverb back and say, yeah, even we transition. So it was this beautiful, like, 
you know, that those concentric circles of the gender wheel are that echo, that reverberation, I feel like, that mm. is constantly reminding us when we have symbols that are always taking us into ourselves and then also connecting us into nature. I think that they heal us, you know. Beautiful. And I think that there's like a larger discourse that's just starting to bubble up around like the queerness inherent in nature. And I've yeah. been really excited to like see more people talking about that. We did, I think like a little scavenger hunt or something through our newsletter <laughs> about that. And it's like, there's like, you know, species of butterfly that are intersex and like all these funky things because nature doesn't have the confines of the binary structures that we impose upon it. And there's a lot, I mean, with like, you know, anti-capitalism and like everyone starting to have a bit of a reckoning around hopefully some of that. People have been starting to undo some of those narratives and getting back in touch. And, and I think that that's been really wonderful to start to see. And I, you know, we've been talking about the gender wheel quite a bit and so I, I, I yeah which is great and I want to do you think you could give us like a little bit of a rundown of kind of like what the gender wheel is and like your philosophy on how you talk to kids about gender yeah so the gender wheel is a symbol and a theory the symbol is there's a star in the center and then there's concentric circles that move out from that. So the star represents that part of us that's connected to all that is and whatever you call it like I don't have any sort of illusion that I know everything there. I only know that there is something vast and that we could even call it just the creative force of nature, right? So that's what the star, we begin there. And then the next ring is the pronoun circle. Being comes into this culture, right? Mm -hmm. They don't just get to be born in the woods, <laughs> raised in nature, like we've been talking. It's just like they're literally born within this culture. And so the pronoun circle really represents having to conform to a pronoun or if you're assigned a pronoun or however that functions for you, or if you're in a space where you're not, right? mm -hmm. we can always hope. And it has to do with like the developmentalness of a child, right? So you come in and usually often, as we know, prior to even birth, children are already being pronounced. They're being gendered mm -hmm. through this very distinct process. Like, yes. oh, gender reveals and blah. Yeah, there was just <laughs> a story from them.us about a gender reveal party contaminating like an entire city's <laughs> water supply. Um, <laughs> so like, again, like literally a manifestation of like the confines of gender on the natural world. And exactly. like, it's just, it's wild to me. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, so then developmentally, you, you end up being like, put, that's the culture, you know, mm -hmm. that we're trying to transform. Yeah. So then next you become aware of like your inside feeling like, oh, I feel like this and this is who I am, or this is what feels good to me or what I'm drawn to. And you start having a sense. I believe that that early time you can see through the intense pressure to conform that there is what I call natural gender, mm. right? Because when we look at animals, we find that there are there's one, is it the white chest, white breasted sparrow has up to 20 genders that they've identified, right? So this is not something that is unnatural. This is part of nature, mm -hmm. how we flow, how we move. So then we have the inside circle and then we move out to the body circle. And this is a place where I really bring in the value of indigenous cultures that we really need to have all of the bodies, you know, and as well as intersex, really calling it intersex bodies mm -hmm. and seeing bodies in a continuum in terms of like genetics and phenotypes, right? So mm -hmm. that there's all these multiple ways that bodies are in a continuum of like expression and how those then, that all of those inside feelings from the inside circles 
all of those then line up with all of these ones in multiple ways. Like there's mm. not an alignment, there's just a flow, mm. right? And then the outside circle is the relationship circle, which I've actually been holding off on until I feel that the gender part has been negotiated a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, and then all of the circles move. So they represent the individual, obviously. Mm-hmm. Then if you look at each circle individually, those represent all of humanity, right? So there's always room for more. So that's all of the bodies, all of the inside feelings, and all of the pronouns that are functioning at the moment. So that there's always this connection between the inside sense of self and always seeing yourself within context of humanity. And I find that when we look at the larger scope of humanity and we really see that continuum, transphobia and homophobia become what they are really clearly projections onto nature. Like there's nothing about nature that is homophobic or transphobic, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And so we start to see the connections and the interconnections and it changes us. So the symbol has been a great teacher of mine. And originally I was just like, oh yeah, this is how I'm going to explain it, da, 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 12 years ago. But as I've lived with it, as I've continued to study it, as I've listen to everything it has to tell me. I can't believe how strong it is, but it's because of nature and spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's you're, where my strength is. It's beautiful. And you're, you're kind of bringing in my woo-woo side a little bit in like a really good way. Because <laughs> I've been getting very into astrology over the past, um, over the pandemic. And there's something very like birth chart-y about all of this too that I'm feeling. I don't know. Is that like a, is that an off instinct about it? Oh, I think that's beautiful. You know, I had never really thought of that. Uh, as somebody whose family, half of my family is Mexican, so much of what I came into contact with were cycles and circles and concentrics mm-hmm. in relation to calendars, right, mm-hmm. in relation to concepts. And so I'm not surprised that it connects to, it, because astrology is that thing that's also neat. It's like natural. Mm-hmm. It's like patterns and cycles and yeah. there's bigger ways of looking at things. So I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because I think something that I've been learning over the past couple of years and really connecting to, especially, you know, locked in a pandemic and like having to deal with the constraints of that in a new way, sitting back and like listening to the rhythm of my life a little bit more. Um it's been really meaningful to me to connect with kind of like the planets and like what's moving around us because like we're all technically made of star stuff, right? It's all the same. Like when you come down to it and like the literal physics and science of it, I mean, like that's in Western language, obviously for the most part, but like we're talking about like the same molecules and atoms and protons and neutrons and electrons that like make up every living, breathing and matter thing that we can feel and touch and understand and this feels so connected to that in like both a very minute way but also in kind of like a macro scale Um, because I mean we're literally talking about the planets right and like trees and what is growing up around us versus what is quote-unquote man-made and like constructed as our idea of how we categorize things and it's uh it's just interesting to make those connections, right? It's life-saving mm. to make those connections. Mm. It's, I think that's the trick. I th- the systemic piece, which is very interesting, is it, being the nerd that I love to be, is I went <laughs> back and I was like, so what are the origins of patriarchy? You mm-hmm. know, how did we get here? And what's interesting is that so much of patriarchy, I have a thing where I talk about sort of these three sweeps of how it's moved through us and how to 
understand the steps. And as somebody who it was indigenous to this land, I was like, well, how could this happen over there and be transplanted here? Mm. You know, so I wanted to understand that because I had this contrast between what was here and then this thing that was laid over it. Mm. So as I've looked at patriarchy more and more, what I've come to understand is that what's built into it is the oppression of nature. That's part of how it survived because just the act of gender oppression is anti-nature, really, mm. right? That it doesn't even yeah. go together. And so as I explored that further, I began understanding why we're destroying our planet, why racism exists, you know, why transphobia and homophobia are so strong. And to see that there's this whole structure, there's a whole narrative that actually makes perfect sense of it all. And once we start to see that, then you walk around in your world and you're like, oh, yeah, that's going on there. Oh, that's going on there. Oh, this education piece is continuing to perpetuate this. And it's the same thing I used for 15 years around race and ethnicity, mm -hmm. right? That whole structural systemic piece. Yes. But this is taken, and I always had the gender piece intact within that. It's just that I was talking only like in really private spaces, like gender conferences at that point. I wasn't taking it out to the world because it wasn't ready yet. Yeah. Now we're ready to talk about racism and transphobia and homophobia together and how they're connected to the system and why. And that's what is going to empower our children and how do we tune our children into that kind of thing, right? So we get mm -hmm. back to that piece. Because if we want lasting change, then we not only have to embody it, we have to be able to convey it effectively to our kids and help them embody it, right? And so I think that's the thing that we've dealt with our kid about how to always keep them awake. And what mm -hmm. we talk about is the girl boy lie is what we call it. Mm -hmm. So when we were dealing with like the larger systems around racism, we would talk a lot about bullying. So we have this bully framework to talk about power over dynamics in the mm -hmm. patriarchy. When we want to start talking about homophobia, cissexism, and transphobia, then we talk about the girl boy lie and how that really represents the kind of constant pressure and privilege you get if you conform in mm -hmm. our culture, right? Because how do you talk about that with kids? It, it feels so huge. But I feel like that literally is like one of the most important things we need to do. Like the nature is awesome. The history is awesome. I love it. I would love to just drown myself there. Mm -hmm. But if we don't address the systemic pressure that all kids are negotiating all the time and that we also have been impacted by, and that's how we also view gender then in the world. Mm -hmm. Like how do we step out of that? Yeah, I think there's a hesitation of like, you know, wanting to quote unquote protect children and like keep them from like the hardships of the world. There's that, you know, common like reaction that I mean, this happened with my parents of like, when you come out of like, I don't want your to be life to be harder. And it's, it already is hard. <laughs> Kids are already experiencing those systems. Yeah, it's not like you weren't queer before that. Exactly, exactly. Like those pressures and that like hardness is already there and is impacting your kid. And it's more confusing when they can't name it and understand it and like wrap their heads around it and like grasp it. It's your responsibility to name and give them language and an understanding that's accessible to them and like where they are developmentally, right? I think that like that's kind of our responsibility to an extent. What's well, interesting too, the idea that if we look at education and how it's moved, um, critical awareness for children is like nil. Mm. You know, we're not, we haven't been committed to supporting our kids to have critical thought about things because it's interesting you say protecting our children. I think that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. I always go like, you know, black and brown children have to deal with that 
right in their face all the time, even when they're very, very young. Yes. You know, and those families have to deal with not being able to protect their children. Mm -hmm. And you can't take the color off of a child, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up biracial. The level of like racism I experienced, especially when we moved to Oregon, Mm -hmm. was just like, I didn't even know what was going on. It was so ridiculous, you know? So I feel like being able to acknowledge the kind of stress, like you're saying, that kids are already experiencing actually helps them negotiate it and give them the critical awareness that this doesn't have to be internalized. Because I think that's the thing that bothers me the most, especially black and brown, especially with queer, trans, intersex kids, is that that kind of messaging gets internalized when a child doesn't have an understanding of the larger bullying system, Mm. right? You know, how many queer, trans, intersex people are like, oh, I thought it was only me, Mm -hmm. right? That it's my fault. Something's wrong with me. I'm damaged somehow. You know, I'm mentally ill. I'm socially inappropriate. I'm da, 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 da. I can't act right. I can't show up and conform the way they want me to. I know. know. (laughs) Fun things. It is a big story. And it's and it's one that I think um is is starting to get more attention. I I hope so. And I think the conversation around kids too, I think, is is one that's becoming more prevalent. I think people just like don't care about kids the way that they think they do. (laughs) Our society like generally does not like or respect children. Um, and that's part of all these systems that we're talking about. And we talk, I talk about childism on the show almost every episode. Um, and I think like what we're talking about connection to nature and, and all the stuff we're talking about, I think that that's something that like really unlocks a lot of these topics for kids and like can unlock that like bullying conversation. Because once you get language around the thing itself, then you can understand the separation between that and the thing that's like oppressing that thing and that experience. I'm trying to unpack all these things. It's complicated, though. (laughs) What I think is the trick is that, because I wanted to hold on to one piece, Mm -hmm. is that parents aren't always just protecting their children. Mm. And I think that's what can be hard to press into. A lot of times they're protecting their self. Yeah. Where they don't want to have to confront some of their unearned privilege Mm -hmm. or maybe some places where they don't feel comfortable pressing into, like, responsibility about like what they've taught their children or what they're exposing their kids to in different ways. And I think that's where I really bring in, you know, a lot of leading with compassion. And I feel like the power and the mystery and the support and the comfort of nature Mm -hmm. can really hold us while we go through this time of kind of figuring out even who we are. I don't even believe humanity can honestly know who we are completely until we lift all of the gender conformity pressure, you know, because so many people are like, well, if I want to survive, you know, and I'm an egg bodied person, then I have to like, look like this, or at least act like this enough, you know, to get by. And the same for sperm bodied people that especially, you know, there's so much pressure to perform in these certain ways. And it's all really that piece of the patriarchy. This is where I always say um, in a patriarchy, gender oppression is a social construct. Mm. Right. It's not actual gender. It's not a a social construct. It's actually the oppression gender. Mm. Once you take that construct off, we can start understanding natural gender and how it moves, you know, the push pull, the fine play and all Mm -hmm. of those different elements that keep us moving as a humanity, Mm -hmm. you know. Those are huge things to think about. Huge, huge. I'm like expression, identity, how we communicate, who we are to other people through symbolism. And like, it's, there's a lot to unpack. And it's really, really hard to 
divorce that from others' perception of you based on their understanding of gender that's not your own. Like, I I mean, as a non-binary person moving through the world, I, I come up against that on a daily basis because once in a blue moon do I get correctly perceived as non-binary by a stranger. And, like, that has so much more to do with their constructed understanding of, like, structures of gender than it has anything to do with how I identify in any way. And understanding transness through a lens that is devoid of those constructions of gender and like is just me existing right and trans people existing is almost too difficult to like understand how I might move through the world if my existence like was in that context does that make sense this is like very we're getting very abstract and theoretical but I'm not mad about it (laughs) well I think that's the trick is that I think especially this last, maybe the last six months even, and I've been doing this for 12 Mm -hmm. years, I've kind of understood just how deep the gymnastics are that people have been trained to do in their minds, Mm -hmm. you know, to hold on to this false sense of the world. And when you you have a queer trans intersex life and world and reality and Mm -hmm. work and family and even our extended family, you know, I forget the, the level of intense pressure that happens all the time and how deep people have been pushed into these positions and that it actually, it's like, it changes literally how they can see. Mm-hmm. It's like they're blind. I think that's, you know, a little heartbreaking and sobering. And then also it feels like, I used to say it feels like pushing a mountain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can't hold on to that image. That's going to take me down. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've done a lot of work in therapy on that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, right. And then one day I was like, oh, it feels like I'm swimming in the ocean. I was like, get out of the ocean. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do we make this feel more doable? How do we keep ourselves strong mm-hmm. through this kind of thing? You know, to be outsiders, you know, it's to be a leader, to take us in a new direction. Yeah. And that can take a toll on your heart and your body. Yeah, it's right? tough. It's tough. And I think this this gets at kind of something I also wanted to talk to you about. There's kind of like the entrepreneurial side of this too, of like making your own work and like speaking your work into the world and like how hard that is on its own. But then there's also the systemic work of like working within like the larger publishing in- industry that's like mainstream and trying to do like systemic, like fixing work that's like also hard on its own. So I, I'm someone who kind of sits at those intersections and I think you are too. And I'd love to hear you kind of speak to how you move through those two spaces. Spaces. You know, it's so interesting is I see it as a spiritual practice mm. because it, it so much has to do with nature and those larger mysteries, but also like your deeper intuition, almost like that unshakable strength that we have inside, especially as queer, trans, intersex folk mm-hmm. who like, I personally believe, you know, that we are messengers in a way that we're holding space very clearly. And so how do you hold that while doing business? <laughs> uh, yeah, and like surviving under capitalism and like trying to be ethical, whatever that means in this world. It's right. Yeah. So we have a couple of parameters like mm. in, in our container. And so because our work is so systemic and this is very challenging because our books do sell on Amazon. So yeah. it's like yeah. we can't extricate ourselves completely in a way no. and survive. But we try to make decisions that are as independent of larger systems that then would control our message as much as possible. Because I feel like the the gender wheel is my teacher, Mm. right? 
And it represents that spirit of nature resonating through all of us. And so how do I keep integrity in relation to that? So mm. I never, I always want to be in a pure state in relation to that. So we don't work with other publishers. That's why we have our own press. I also am extremely careful about editors. Mm. Um, I've seen people of color have their work completely decimated by white editors. Mm -hmm. And so now in this position, and I just recently got done actually doing a book with a fairly large press um, for a very well-known um, queer author. And gender was the piece that we were negotiating. Mm. And it was a constant fight today. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is a groovy press. And I was just like, wow, it's like they couldn't understand what I was saying. They were blind to everything I had embedded in the art and why I had to defend it repeatedly. The amount of time that went into that was mind boggling. And again, I came out of it saying, this is why I don't work with other presses. This is why, you know, I can come in and talk with Matthew and we can negotiate. Are we being clear here? Is there integrity here, right? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be able to be understood by kids or grownups, you know, in this mm -hmm. context? So I think that act, just that is a decolonizing act because I used to do a lot of work around the statistics about queer, trans, intersex voice within children's book media. And it was horrendous, yeah. absolutely horrendous, much worse than the statistics I was even getting for race and ethnicity. I was just like, yeah. of course, right? So um, I think that has been one of my things. And I used to teach everything I know about children's books so that other people could also start their own presses because when we own the presses, we have voice, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing. What's happened lately is that our books have, are on multiple banned book lists being written about mm -hmm. in different articles by the other side, you know, saying these books are indoctrinating our children into, you know, negative da-da-da. Oh, we've been, we've gotten the death threats. We've gotten yeah. all of it, you know. And our book sales have absolutely crashed. And we're just like, whoa, what's going on? Because I think so many of our book sales were in schools. Mm. And so right now we're in the process. We've been doing this two-year training that we've developed. It's three parts. It's really focused. So next month, we're actually putting out um, the first part of our training. It's going to be on Vimeo. So anybody and everybody can have access to it. Because we're like, how are we going to respond to this level of oppression that's happening right now? This yeah. silencing, this culture of fear and really understanding educators having to keep their job, right? Having to negotiate. How do we empower them as well as the kids who aren't getting access to materials and support, right? So this is a way to just like be like, okay, well, let's talk about nature. Let's put all of that information out in the world. Let's talk about the patriarchy. Let's talk about its origins, you know, its tools, the kind of impact it's had on gender. And then let's look at gender in the patriarchy and where we've gotten to so far Let's lift out of that and look at gender outside of the patriarchy. What would happen if we had that symbol, right? The gender wheel. So this is a way that we're trying to give that foundation, right? Mm -hmm. So that people can be like, oh, I'm scared, but I know this, you know, level of research is happening around nature. It's not going to be able to be suppressed for much longer, mm -hmm. right? This is where we're going to go as a culture. There's no denying it. So I can start using that as a fulcrum to talk to parents, you know, to look at books in a more expanded way, to even talk to my administration and be like, you know, this is the truth. This is facts. So how do we start folding it in? You know, and then the patriarchy piece is, I think, a lot of times how I keep myself strong, probably, you know, talking about bullying, talking about the girl boy lie. Mm -hmm. But so much of that is about how do we not internalize that constant like, oh, well, you're not good enough. You know, your books aren't selling or, you, you know, whatever weird story can get in your head and be like, those don't even hit me. 
because mm-hmm. I know in my heart, it takes time. This is a, a huge cultural healing. You know, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be frights. There's going to be the death rattle, right, of the old way of thinking. How do we bring in the compassion first for ourselves and then for everyone else? Mm-hmm. You know, so that it's really that. I say a lot, I sit on the moon to pay attention to things. It's about having that really big perspective so that the little things don't get in and we can stay you know, in that flow of nature and moving forward because that's the kind of power that we have in this work. Yes. My gosh. Absolutely. Like everything you're saying is just like, yeah, hitting all of the feels because like this is this work is really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. You know, it's interesting. I put something up recently on my Instagram that was a quote from one of the trainings. Have this thing called hot backs for pushback because there's a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that comes up a lot is religion. And, you know, well, it's against my beliefs. It's against my religion. And so I did my research and of all the major religions, they all have, if not positive, neutral documentation of queer trans intersex people in all of their ancient texts. And that's because they were just reverberating off of more nature-based cultures, mm-hmm. right? And we've yeah. gone through this patriarchy. We've like pulled away from nature through this patriarchy stuff, yeah. right? And so it's this interesting like arc back to reclaiming so much of our spiritual roots, right? Yeah. Charlemagne ruined everything. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting to just be like, how do we create those bigger narratives to hold us and keep us strong and not alienate and isolate people? Yeah. I mean, that's always my hilarious thing. I, I think one day I feel that I'll be having this nature-based patriarchal construct talking with somebody who is a conservative mm-hmm. and really talking about nature and spirit and finding commonalities that we can share to move this, that next step. Like how mm-hmm. do we soften the ground and plant those seeds so that we can all grow together? I, I know in my heart that we will. I can yeah. see, you know, way, way in the future that we won't be burdened in mm-hmm. the same way. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think about like, I think about like folks who went, grew up like fishing with their grandpas who like have different like cultural ideas of like what the world should be like. And like, that is still like a commune with nature that that person is having. And like, I think that everyone has some sort of connection to the natural world, even if you, (laughs) maybe someone doesn't think they do. (laughs) And I think it's, Yeah. yeah, there's like that commonality. We come from the earth. That's literally how we're alive and making our uh, relation with other people and like moving through space and time. And like, that's just literally the thing we have in common. And like, everyone has gender. And like, this is the thing I think about all the time of that, like, you know, so much of of all this, I think, would be solved if just like cis people like thought about their gender once in like a critical context of like, okay, my gender isn't the thing that I was told I am. I have gender unto my own self that I can determine for myself. And like, I wonder if, if majority of cisgender people have even asked that question of themselves of like, 
what is my gender separate from my assigned gender at birth? And I think like, that's the message I'm trying to like, figure out how to like beat my drum on louder, because it's just like hashtag protect trans kids, you don't need to know a trans kid in order to contribute to and support queer and trans kids. Like there are so many things that you can do in your life, even if like you are so far from queer and transness, like how are you thinking about your own gender? How are you thinking about the gender of people you're in any kind of relationship with? How are you enforcing gender roles and like rigid gender norms in your own life, even if it's not intentional? How are you talking around and to children about gender and those rigid roles and structures? Like gender is around us all of the time in everything. And it takes conscious deconstruction to understand even just like where you're defaulting in your life. And I mean, this I talk about this in my book quite a bit. And like, that's where I think like with the gender wheel, I think that like really starts to get you connected with nature. Also, yes, but also like connected with the gender of yourself and like how gender. Yeah, I think what you were saying, like fluidly moves through everything. And I think what the gender wheel does, I think, so well is centers it. And I think that like that's so important is finding your center when it comes to your experience of gender, but also your experience of gender within the context of the world around you and how you've decided to move and how you can change how you move. Well, I think it's interesting, the idea that it goes unexamined. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the part that kind of tripped me out when I started understanding the origins of patriarchy. I often say it's it's equal parts rage and love, you know, mm-hmm. excitement and everything, because you saying that thing about like, well, gender is in everything. And that's why it's such an effective tool of control, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It's like, oh, well, we'll just take hold of gender, which is the something that's on the inside of people. And mm-hmm. we'll start manipulating and controlling that based on power dynamics, right? Of power mm-hmm. over. And so I think when we start really taking that apart, like you're saying, you can start being like, oh, well, as a child, I was assigned female. And so I was immediately siphoned into this kind of like role. And I never even had a moment to think about it unless you're queer, trans, intersex. And you're just mm-hmm. like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. like, even, even our community so many people, I hear stories constantly in my trainings, like, well, I didn't come out until I was 60, mm-hmm. you know, because I had to have kids and I had to have, do this and I had to do that. And it's just like, you know, I couldn't die having not been my whole self. Yeah, It's just like, that's such a common narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And that is like the epitome, I feel like, of this whole system where you have to do this thing or you're trained that you have to do this thing when you actually don't. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I love that you were saying is, if we just dealt with gender, the whole world would change. I got to agree. Right. Literally. Right. And like, I, it's it's interesting because I feel like we've been seeing so many coalitions forming across different uh, social justice movements. And that's that's really, really important to start seeing that happen. And I see so many similarities just in like the methodology and like the quote unquote fight, right, of like anti-racism like methodology and like gender methodology and like reproductive rights. Like there are so many common threads between addressing the oppression of like all of those kind of like multitudinous identities and experiences, right? I mean, they come from I mean, they're experiencing life in different ways, like individually, because these spaces have different oppressions and different 
particular issues, but there's just so much that's so common to all of them. And gender in particular is something that's going to be a commonality across literally everything because everyone has gender. Uh, I mean, like I talked to Britt Hawthorne in uh, an episode in the first season of Rainbow Parenting, and we talked about her, you know, anti-racism methodology in parenting and how that's so similar to the way that I approach, you know, talking to parents about gender and, and kids about gender and like the same kind of like hesitations that people have around talking to their kids around these things. And yeah, I really think that gender is like a huge key to unlock all this stuff. And something that I did in my book, I, <laughs> the idea of the book is that like, as you kind of like wade into it, you get like deeper and deeper into the deep end of the pool. And then like, kind of at the end, you're like, oh, like I'm in 10 feet of water <laughs> by the time you're at that point. And there's this section on um, native justice and climate change, which you wouldn't think is connected to gender. But I mean, this entire conversation is how that's connected to gender. And I start talking about decolonization in that. And my editor wanted me to take it out at one point. And I was like, no, you can't take it out. Because this is the thing that unlocks the entire book for a lot of people. Because it's like, okay, how do we connect gender to decolonization and to indigenous justice? And what I'm saying is that they're the same thing. They are literally the same thing. Yeah. Like, and I always say, like, if you're dealing with racism and ethnicity and you're not dealing with gender, then you're not dealing with racism and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And if you're dealing with gender and you're not dealing with racism and ethnicity, then you're not dealing with gender. Mm -hmm. Racism literally rises from sexism and homophobia and transphobia. It's like once I did the, the, the narrative, once I understood the narrative, right, mm -hmm. right, it begins with the control. I call it control the egg, where it's just like it was all this like focusing in on survival and how that evolved and developed, right? And then control begets control. That led to controlling what I call nature. So that as the inquisitions and blah, blah, blah came into ancient Europe, right? Being queer trans intersex became synonymous with being a pagan. So because mm. the empire was tied to Catholicism and wanted to basically control everyone through both of those formats, then paganism became a political threat. So then queerness became a political threat, right? Mm -hmm. Because those were the people in power in a lot of places or had like social power. You know, pagan cultures, one of the biggest ones that was unifying was the color black and darkness, mm -hmm. right? And so they took that and they was like, oh, so now blackness and darkness is bad. So then when they lifted that up and brought it to the Americas, mm -hmm. they already had it all laid in place. It's just like, well, I'm going to abuse all these black and brown people because they're evil because it's all a political thing. So you start you start leapfrogging backwards and you can see how one control led to another control led to another control mm -hmm. and how they were then just transported here. Mm -hmm. And then we've lived with them for so long. We think this is just the way it is. Right. We even look at nature and be like, oh, survival of the fittest, which is a lie. Yeah. Right. That is a projection onto it from the patriarchy of domination. Mm -hmm. And so there's this way that we can start seeing how everything is tied together. It's all one sweep. And so if we're living under the powers of a patriarchy, then literally gender oppression is at the core of it. It is the main point. So that's what the training does, you know, where I like mm -hmm. really slowed it way down. And even talking about the tools of the patriarchy was really challenging because we've internalized it so deeply. You know, we have this idea that like egg bodies are small and delicate and feminine and, you know, they want to be maternal, which is like a load of crap. 
No, that's not the way it is, right? I know just as many egg body people who are big, who are like muscular and strong and really like masculine and macho, never want to have children, don't even feel connected to that part of their body, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's all these different ways that I feel like we need to just continue exposing. I feel like the system and how it functions, it's brilliant. I mean, gender oppression is brilliant. How, I mean, my God, what a great trick. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I think one of my favorite things is um, unearthing like queer and trans histories. I mean, I'm a I'm a writer and a storyteller like you, and so it's it's about fictionalizing it for me. But um, I love like digging in and like seeing like okay, what was erased by the like project of like gender conformity? And um, one of my favorite things that I found was like, oh man, pirates were so freaking cool. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is like me getting dirty and very off topic, but like pirates were like basically like the original gender outlaws like just uh, and also so many different like corners and nooks of history that have been so just like wiped out and it's like a huge part of like what I want to do with my work is like figuring out how to tell those stories and like give them a life again and like put them back into the narrative and like how can we not just undo this like great project of like the illusion of gender conformity but like how can we reweave that tapestry right like how can we and I think you do this with your work and I'm trying to do it with mine and a lot of other like queer and trans and awesome storytellers are doing a lot of this work and it's starting to come up. I mean, it sucks that you need money to, details, <laughs> to tell stories on. Uh, yeah, I know, truly. Um, but like, I think it's so important to be unearthing the history that was like just truly wiped away and the people who have lived these lives and maybe didn't have the language that we do today but you know lived their lives queerly and transly (laughs) and like showing that to kids I think is so powerful because it's reinstituting an ancestry right I, you know, it's it's really cool, I think, to have. I, I'm a huge history buff, and I love that. But I think if we don't contextualize it within the context of why it was suppressed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And really, like, paying attention to all of the multiple movements mm-hmm. and, and how they're always so, like, adaptive to oppress as much as possible. Like, why is that? I think we need to ask as many questions as possible as we unearth and reclaim our yeah. ancestry, our spiritual ancestry, you know, like with Judaism, even with Christianity in many ways. Um, I have quotes from Muhammad. I mean, mm. the stuff that you can find that is in contrast to a lot of the kind of religious conservatism that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of reclamation will be um, mind boggling. It's so I love talking to other folks who like totally get the story too. Mm-hmm. Whereas that this is going to make us strong, right? And then I'm going to want to hear all of your stories and, and everybody's stories that are like reclaiming and going in and understanding that stuff. Mm-hmm. It is so connecting us. Yeah. But I feel like we have to make sure we sit on the moon. Not that you're not. I'm not saying this to you specifically. But <laughs> in general, I'm so used to talking to like, you know, large groups of people. Yeah. It's just like in general, we have to make sure that we sit on the moon as much as possible with this because we we've all been so deeply trained. Mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes to even understand 
the kind of mental gymnastics that people are committed to. Truly. Thank you so much for this conversation. We're starting to get to the end. I know we were starting just like, I know we were just starting on like another really cool tangent, but I think that that's a great place to stop. Now is a great time to plug all of your things. Where can people find you? What can you point people to? Let them know. Uh, Let's see. We have three books in the makes at the moment. The first one, it would have been under makes for two years. So we're very excited to get them out. Takes a long time to make this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) One, especially when there's only two of us at our press. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, The first one is the pronoun protocol, which is 12 agreements, uh, how we can use language basically to take apart assumptions and stereotypes. Uh, And then it's all super focused on, you know, educators, family, and it's what's interesting too with that one is we always say I bring the cosmic, I bring like these sort of bigger perspectives and ways of thinking. And Matthew, my partner, brings the playground. Hmm. You know, so there's a lot of these very like um, cool observations that we're going to fold in of Matthew's observations around what they see. You know how gender plays out on the playground and all this mm. dynamics. So really bringing it, it into that kid, very real place. Uh, and then the other one I'm excited about is the Gender and Infinity book for kids. Cool. And so this is a littles book. It's really talking and introducing those ideas about being connected to the vastness of nature and then how that pressure to conform in those little tiny boxes of like boy and girl are what they're trying to cram nature into. Mm. And then basically showing kids like bursting back out of those. Cool. Um, and then the thing I'm the most excited about actually is not a book. It's our training. And so mm. our training's going um, onto a streaming platform in October. It'll cool. be the first part of our three-part training. Um, it's called a reorientation. So it really looks at the patterns of nature and it really slows down that narrative around systemic gender oppression uh, historically and how we can be really present with it now. And then looks at gender, you know, from the models that we've been using and then suggesting models that are nature-based and how they differ and why, really. And then how to take that into real life. Amazing. <laughs> and everyone can find all that at your website, the Reflection Press website, right? Reflectionpress.com or genderwheel.com. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me, Maya. This was just like a lovely, fluid, very smooth conversation. Got nice and complicated and uh, lots of different threads. I loved it. It was really fun, Linz. Thank you so much. Of and course. Huge blessings on your work. Oh, well, thank you. Isn't Maya just an absolute breath of fresh air? Oh my goodness. I loved that conversation. Thank you so, so much to Maya for chatting with me. She's someone who's been around for a really long time doing this work. And I have so, so much admiration for her and what she does and what she's been doing and continues to do advocating for queerness and children and gender and looking at all of these things in just really beautiful and nuanced ways. So thank you so much to Maya. Make sure you go check out the Reflection Press and the Gender Wheel and all of the things we talked about. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R. You can find Queer Kid Stuff at Queer Kid Stuff all over the internet. Check out our website. Make sure you pre-order the Rainbow Parenting book and hang out with us on Patreon. We have those monthly live meetings for Teddy's Book Club, and we'll have another one coming up in November. We haven't quite picked the date yet, but we will let you know as soon as that happens. 
And if you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review or rating us and we can continue to grow this lovely little community of ours. Thank you so, so much for listening. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzio.